Part 2, Chapter 7, Section 82 of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined by David Friedrich Strauss, translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 2, History of the Public Life of Jesus. Chapter 7, Discourses of Jesus in the Fourth Gospel. Section 82, Isolated Maxims of Jesus, Common to the Fourth Gospel and the Synoptical Ones. The long discourses of Jesus above examined are peculiar to the fourth gospel. It has only a few brief maxims to which the synoptists present parallels. Among the latter, we need not give a special examination to those which are placed by John in an equally suitable connection, with that assigned to them by the other evangelists. As chapter 12, verse 25, compare with Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, Chapter 16, verse 25, and chapter 13, verse 16, compare with Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. And, as the passage chapter 2, verse 19, compared with Matthew chapter 26, verse 61, must be reserved until we treat of the history of the Passion, there remain to us only three passages for our present consideration. The first of these is chapter 4, verse 44, where the evangelist, after having mentioned that Jesus departed from Samaria into Galilee, adds, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. We find the same idea in Matthew chapter 13, verse 57, Mark chapter 6, verse 4, and Luke chapter 4, verse 24, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. But while in the latter case it stands in a highly appropriate connection, as a remark prompted by the ungracious reception which Jesus met with in his native city, and which caused him to leave it again, in John, on the contrary, it is given as a motive for the return of Jesus into his own country, Galilee where, moreover, he is immediately said to be warmly received. The experience stated in the above sentence would rather have disinclined than induced Jesus to undertake a journey into Galilee. Hence, the expedient of translating gar by although is the best adapted to the necessity of the case, and has even been embraced by quinol, except that, unhappily, it is an open defiance of the laws of language. Unquestionably, if Jesus knew that the prophet held this unfavorable position in his native country, it is not probable that he would regard it as a reason for going thither. Some expositors, therefore, have been induced to understand patris not as the province, but in a narrower sense, as a native city and to supply, after the statement that Jesus went into Galilee, the observation which they assume the evangelist to have omitted, that he avoided his native city, Nazareth, for the reason given in the ensuing verse. But an ellipsis, such as this explanation requires us to suppose, belongs not less to the order of impossibilities than the transmutation of gar into though. The attempt to introduce the desiderated statement that Jesus did not visit his own patrice into the present passage has therefore been renounced. But it has yet been thought possible 
to discover there an intimation that he did not soon return thither a delay for which the maxim hoti prophetes etc might consistently be quoted as a reason but to render this interpretation admissible the entire period of the absence of jesus from galilee must have been mentioned immediately before the notice of his return instead of this however only the short time that jesus had tarried in samaria is given verse forty five so that in ludicrous disproportion of cause and effect the fear of the contempt of his fellow-countrymen would on the above supposition be made the reason for delaying his return into galilee not until after a residence of some months in judea but until after the lapse of two days spent in samaria so long therefore as galilee and nazareth are admitted to be the patrice of jesus the passage in question cannot be vindicated from the absurdity of representing that jesus was instigated to return thither by the contempt which he knew to await him consequently it becomes the interest of the expositor to recollect that matthew and luke pronounce bethlehem to be the birthplace of jesus whence it follows that judea was his native country which he now forsook on account of the contempt which he had there experienced but according to chapter four verse one compare with chapter two verse twenty three chapter three verse twenty six and following jesus had won a considerable number of adherents in judea and could not therefore complain of a lack of honour moreover the enmity of the pharisees hinted at in chapter four verse one was excited by the growing consequence of jesus in judea and was not at all referable to such a cause as that indicated in the maxim hoti prophetes etc further the entrance into galilee is not connected in our passage with a departure from judea but from samaria and as according to the import of the text jesus departed from samaria and went into galilee because he had found that a prophet has no honour in his own country samaria might rather seem to be pointed out as his native country in conformity with the reproach cast on him by the jews chapter eight verse forty eight though even this supposition would not give consistency to the passage for in samaria also jesus is said chapter four verse thirty nine to have had a favourable reception besides we have already seen that the fourth evangelist knows nothing of the birth of jesus in bethlehem but on all occasions presupposes him to be a galilean and a nazarene from the above considerations we obtain only the negative result that it is impossible to discover any consistent relation between the maxim in question and the context a positive result namely how the maxim came to occupy its actual position notwithstanding this want of relation will perhaps be obtained when we have examined the two other passages belonging to the present head of our inquiry the declaration chapter thirteen verse twenty he that receiveth you receiveth me and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me has an almost verbal parallel in matthew chapter ten verse forty in john 
it is preceded by the prediction of the betrayal of jesus and his explanation to his disciples that he had told them this before it came to pass in order that when his prediction was fulfilled they might believe in him as the messiah what is the connection between these subjects and the above declaration or between the latter and its ensuing context where jesus recurs to his betrayer it is said that jesus wished to impress on his disciples the high dignity of a messianic missionary a dignity which the betrayer thought lightly of losing but the negative idea of loss on which this supposition turns is not intimated in the text others are of opinion that jesus observing the disciples to be disheartened by the mention of the betrayer sought to inspire them with new courage by representing to them their high value but in that case he would hardly have reverted immediately after to the traitor others again conjecture that some intermediate sentences have been omitted by the writer but this expedient is not much happier than that of quinol who supposes the passage to be a gloss taken from matthew chapter ten verse forty united originally to verse sixteen of chapter thirteen of john but by some chance transposed to the end of the paragraph nevertheless the indication of verse sixteen is an useful waymark this verse as well as verse twenty has a parallel in the discourse of instructions in matthew chapter ten verse twenty four if a few fragments of this discourse had reached the author of the fourth gospel through a medium of tradition it is very probable that one of them would bring the others to his recollection in verse sixteen there is a mention of the sent and of him who sent him so in verse twenty of those whom jesus will send and of him who sent jesus it is true that the one passage has a humiliating the other an encouraging tendency and their affinity lies therefore not in the sense but in the words so that as soon as the fourth evangelist puts down from memory traditional sayings of jesus we see him subject to the same law of association as the synoptists it would have been the most natural arrangement to place verse twenty immediately after verse sixteen but the thought of the traitor was uppermost in the mind of the writer and he could easily postpone the insertion of an apothegm that had only a verbal connection with his previous matter our third passage chapter fourteen verse thirty one lies yet farther within the domain of the history of the passion than the one last examined but as like this it can be viewed quite independently we shall not be anticipating if we include it in our present chapter in the above passage the words arise let us go hence remind us of those by which jesus matthew chapter twenty six verse forty six mark chapter fourteen verse forty two summons his disciples to join him in encountering the traitor rise let us be going the position of the words in john is perplexing because the summons to depart has no effect jesus as if he had said nothing of the kind immediately continues chapter fifteen verse one i am the true vine etc 
and does not take his departure with his disciples until after he has considerably prolonged his discourse expositors of every hue have been singularly unanimous in explaining the above words by the supposition that jesus certainly intended at the moment to depart and betake himself to gethsemane but love for his disciples and a strong desire to impart to them still further admonition and comfort detained him that hence the first part of the summons arise was executed but that standing in the room in which he had supped he pursued his discourse until later chapter eighteen verse one he also put into effect the words let us go hence it is possible that the circumstances were such it is also possible that the image of this last evening with all its details might be engraven so deeply and accurately into the memory of a disciple that he might narrate how jesus arose and how touchingly he lingered but one who wrote under the influence of a recollection thus lively would note the particulars which were most apparent the rising to depart and the delay not the mere words which without the addition of those circumstances are altogether unintelligible here again then the conjecture arises that a reminiscence of the evangelical tradition presented itself to the writer and that he inserted it just where it occurred to him not as it happened in the best connection and this conjecture assumes probability so soon as we discover what might have reminded him of the above expression in the synoptical parallels the command rise let us be going is connected with the announcement behold the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners behold he is at hand that doth betray me with the announcement that is of the hostile power which is approaching before which however jesus exhibits no fear but goes to encounter the danger with the decision implied in that command in john's gospel also jesus in the passage under our notice had been speaking of a hostile power when he said the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me it makes little difference that in john it is the power that dwells in the betrayer and in those led by him while in the synoptical gospels it is the betrayer who is impelled by that power that is said to approach if the author of the fourth gospel knew by tradition that jesus had united with the announcement of an approaching danger the words rise let us be going this expression would be likely to occur to him on the mention of the prince of this world and as in that stage of his narrative he had placed jesus and his disciples in the city and within doors so that a considerable change of place was necessary before they could encounter the enemy he added let us go hence as however this traditional fragment had intruded itself unawares into the train of thought which he designed to put as a farewell discourse into the mouth of jesus it was immediately lost sight of and a free course was given to the stream of valedictory instruction not yet exhausted if from the point of view now attained 
we glance back on our first passage chapter four verse forty four it is easy to see how the evangelist might be led to insert in so unsuitable a connection the testimony of jesus as to the treatment of a prophet in his own country it was known to him traditionally and he appears to have applied it to galilee in general being ignorant of any unfavorable contact of jesus with the nazarenes as therefore he knew of no special scene by which this observation might have been prompted he introduced it where the simple mention of galilee suggested it apparently without any definite idea of its bearing the result of the above investigation is this the fourth evangelist succeeds in giving connectedness to his materials when he presents his own thoughts in the form of discourses delivered by jesus but he often fails lamentably in that particular when he has to deal with the real traditional sayings of jesus in the above instances when he has the same problem before him as the synoptists he is as unfortunate in its solution as they nay he is in a yet more evil case for his narrative is not homogeneous with the common evangelical tradition and presented few places where a genuine traditional relic could be inserted besides he was accustomed to cast his metal liquid from his own invention and was little skilled in the art of adapting independent fragments to each other so as to form an harmonious mosaic end of section eighty two